in Korea doing a two-month internship with our church. Both of them were in my small group when they were college students at Columbia University when I was on staff with Campus Crusade. And uh, they have traveled thousands of miles to run with us for these last two months. And um, uh, the husband will be speaking here tonight. They went with us to Australia. Had a, we had an amazing time. And uh, he is a very anointed man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of fire and passion for God's glory. So let's take this time. Let's uh, put our hands together for Pastor Paul Yu. Yeah, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to just be here at this pulpit. Uh, it's just been a blessing for me and Jamie uh, just during the time that we've been here at New Philly. And so, yeah, it's a little daunting being up here, but um, uh, I'm blessed and I'm honored uh, for Pastor Christian for asking me to preach. Um, all right, well, uh, I'm used to, <clears throat> you know, the, the mic standing on a mic stand. But I realized at New Philly that uh, that's too constricting, right? That, you know, you guys got to move around and, you know, walk around and, you know, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm going to try that tonight. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, you can pray for me. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you know, actually, um, I, I remember hearing this one time that uh, I, I forget where I heard it, but I heard that when you, you know, as a preacher, when you read one thinker, you listen to one preacher, you become a clone of that person. When you start listening to two and reading two thinkers and preachers, you become a little confused. And once you start, you know, you get to like 10 thinkers and preachers, you start to develop your own voice. Uh, and then when you get to like 100, you start to become wise. And you have your own voice. And, um, yeah, I think coming to New Philly has uh, made me very confused, but also... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm on my path to, you know, growing wise and developing my own voice, so it's good. Um, I, I love being here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right, let's turn to the passage. Uh, I'm going to preach from Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll just read on. Um, okay. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then uh, verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and and clothed them. All right, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, I just thank you uh, for the honor, the privilege to be here at New Philly Friday Fire. Uh, to share from your word, God, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you just speak to me tonight, God, that you would open up my mind, open up my heart, God, to be connected with yours, anoint me with your Holy Spirit, and would you speak through your word to bless, to convict, to encourage, to strengthen your people tonight. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. Okay. All right, so, um, yeah, you know, actually, I'm, I'm a extend my introduction a little longer. Um, yeah, so as I was uh, thinking about what to preach on, um, yeah, I, I realized that I have a certain DNA that's built in me uh, from my training at Westminster. A lot of you guys, when you guys heard that I was preaching tonight, you guys are like, all right, let's, let's get the Westminster flavor, you know, like, let's bring that on. And um, yeah, you know, as of now, you know, on my path, uh, I can't escape that. That's my DNA. So uh, yeah, all right, let's get right into it. Um, <laughs> Okay, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about, um, it's kind of, you know, I, I love the freedom that you guys he- have here at New Philly. You know, freedom is for everyone. You know, I really think that's great. I really sense it, you know, not only in your worship, you know, everybody's going crazy, jumping up and down, uh, but also just in the fellowship, just spending time with you guys, just sense a lot of freedom that you guys have. And, you know, I think that's amazing because I, I don't really see that in like, like many churches. So I think that's awesome. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of led to this uh, as I was thinking about that a little bit. Um, yeah, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? It's the beginning of the Bible. God creates everything. And at the end of each day, you know, you hear the same refrain. God says that he saw that it was good. So everything that God made, he saw that it was good. Okay, so he creates the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. You know, the land and the sea, the plants and the animals, and everything is good in his eyes. But then in chapter 2, there's only one thing about which it is said that it is not good. And that's in chapter 2, verse 18. God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. And then right after this, I will make him a helper suitable for him. So in this context, you know, God's talking about, you know, it's not good that the man should be you know, not single, but just, you know, alone, right? So God's like, all right, so he, he gives him a bunch of animals, you know, like go name them, see if, they, you know, they're a good, good helper for you. And man starts naming all the animals, and, you know, not, none of them are good for him. And so God puts Adam to sleep, and, of course, he takes the rib out, and he makes him woman for him. And the moment that Adam lays eyes on the woman, you know, this is the first poem, the first song that we see in the entire Bible he starts saying, this at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so, 
You know, point number one is that if you want to learn how to pick up a woman, you know, this is the best pickup line to start with because, you know, you know, if you say this to a girl and she's like, dude, that is so cheesy, all you got to say is, it's in the Bible. You know, it's biblical. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, but, um, yeah, but this context, right, this context is for marriage. It's not good that the man should be alone. But I think it also applies to uh, relationships in general. You know, see, God created us for relationship. See, so, you know, the marriage thing, I'll just leave to Pastor Christian or some other leaders to preach on, teach on. But, um, yeah, first thing we're going to see tonight is that it is not good that man should be alone because we were created for relationship. You see, we're not complete living isolated, solitary lives. You see, some of us are, I know you guys like that personality plus thing at this, at this church, you know, the extroverts and the introverts. You know, some of, our, some of us are extroverts. We just love being with people. We get energy when we're around people. You know, others of us are introverts. And, you know, one's not better than the other, right? It's good to be alone, to reflect, uh, to meditate, and, and things like that. But it's not good to be excessively alone because God created us for relationships. God created us to connect with people in a community. See, this past Sunday at New Philly, we prayed uh, against, uh, well, not against, but we prayed for people that were sensing, you know, isolation and loneliness, you know, even at this church, even some of the leaders. And, you know, you can be in a passionate church, a spirit-filled church where everybody's on fire for God, and yet you can still feel lonely and isolated at times. You may go through seasons like that. And so it's important for us to know today that God created us for relationship. You see, there's people who, you know, succeed in business or in whatever profession that they're in. You know, they pour their life and their hours into these things. And then at the end of their lives, they look back and it wasn't satisfying because they didn't live for relationship because God created us for relationship. I remember um, when I graduated college, uh, I remember all my friends they were getting, like, all these good jobs, high-paying jobs, you know, six figures, like, coming out of school and all that. And then, for me, I was going into ministry, and I went to uh, training for KCCC, and, like, it was, like, two different worlds that we were in. And I started feeling like, oh, man, I got to prove myself, you know, n- next to my friends, next to my peers. So, for the next couple years, uh, you know, my wife, you know, we were dating at the time. She can testify. Like, I just lived to get things done. And to accomplish things. And I just worked hard. I slept like very little. I was always doing ministry. Hardly spending time with my girlfriend at the time. And you know she was like. Yeah that, that, that's a bad idea right. Don't do that right. But um, yeah, it, it's God's grace that she's still with me. Uh, so I praise God. But uh, yeah so I was living. And after a couple years. I realized like. I was living like a robot. You know I was just living to get things done. And my heart was like. You know, even though I was doing a lot of ministry. My heart wasn't as alive as it used to be because I was, I was you know, going against God's design for how he created us. See, he created us to be in relationship. He created us in his image. And you see, because we're in God's image, we are like God. And you know, the God of Christianity is the only God. Christianity is the only belief system that has love at the center. See, what, what do I mean by that? You see, no other belief system, no other religion, whatever it is, 
has a triune God at the beginning. You see, every other belief system, it might be one God, it might be, you know, whatever, whatever else it is, right? But Christianity, God is not just one, but he's three persons in one. And from eternity past, they were overflowing in love to one another. They were receiving and giving love, one person of the Trinity, to another. So you see, the most central aspect about God is love and relationship. See, God always existed in three persons. He always existed living in a loving relationship. You see, and because we're created in His image, we were also made for relationship. We were made to receive and to give love. See? See, and we're also like God because we were made for relationship. We want to be known by others. right? We want people to know us. We want to be loved by others. This is how we were made. All right, so you see, every other you know, belief system, it, it can't have love at the center. You know, you know it's popular these days to, for people to say, you know, I just, I'm just about love, right? You know, you know, forget all that, you know, like judgment stuff from God and forget all this, you know, division and separation. I'm just all about love, love, love. See, it's popular to say that now, but actually, if you look at history, the concept of a loving God, it came from Christianity. Because if you look at the world, if you look at the poverty, you know, we pray against injustice, human trafficking here in New Philly, right? If you look at the wars, if you look at natural disasters, if you just look at life, where on earth, where would you come up with the idea that God is a God of love? Like, like where would you get that idea? You see, historically, that idea came from Christianity. See, that God is a God of love. You see, at the center, at the heart of God, the Christian God, is that he's a God of love, and that because we're in his image, we were made for relationship. See, we were made to receive and to give love. But there's a problem, right? Because we read Genesis 3, it's the fall, so we all know what the problem is. See, God made us for a relationship, and the first human relationship was before sin, right? Adam and Eve, and what does it say in verse 25? It says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, that was God's original design for human relationships. Naked and not ashamed. And I'm not just talking about physically. Right? I'm not just talking about you know, being naked physically. I'm talking about relational nakedness too. Right? That's what God meant for us. That's how God meant, designed it for our relationships to be like. See, for us to be fully known and to fully know others and still to live in that kind of love and that kind of acceptance. Right? And that's what, that's what we all want. And to fully love a person, you need to know them, right? You need to get to know them. And the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, um, what does it say? It says, you know, it's talking about now versus eternity in the future. And it says, now we know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, we are fully known by God down to the depths. Everything that we are, everything that we've done, everything that we've been through, all the weird quirks and, you know, weird things about us. You know, God knows them all. We are fully known before him. And that's the kind of relationship that God has designed us for, even in human relationships. But you see, we were created to be naked and unashamed, but after the fall, it's not true any longer, right? You see, it says here in verse 7, it says, 
you know, after they ate from the fruit of the tree, right, it says, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You see, so from this point on, nakedness is no longer associated with knowing someone deeply and enjoying that love. But in the rest of the Bible, nakedness is associated with shame. It's associated with humiliation, weakness, and need. See, all throughout the Bible, again and again, that's how nakedness is used. It's considered a disgrace for your nakedness to be uncovered before anybody else. You see, God even uses it as a symbol of judgment on the nation of Israel. In Nahum, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Nahum, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, I will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. See, nakedness is a sign of judgment because of the fall. We no longer have that intimacy that we were designed and created for with other people because of the shame that nakedness brings. And you see, this is true not only because of sin, like we see in the fall here, but also when we're sinned against. Even when people sin against us, the things that others do to us, there's a stain of sin even that, that sticks to that. And we're ashamed you know, at our past and what we've been through. And so all of this, it divides us. It creates a separation between one person to another. And once the stain of sin enters the picture, the eyes of our conscience are open, we realize that we're naked, and we become ashamed. You see, and this leads to two consequences. Number one, first thing we see is that it leads to alienation from God. Right? Verse 8 and 9, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, so the first consequence of the shame of our nakedness is that it leads to alienation from God. See, not only did they hide, but they were afraid of God. Before this, they were walking in sweet fellowship, intimacy with God. But because of their nakedness, they now hide from Him. And they were ashamed and afraid even to come into God's presence. And our consciences, we're just like Adam and Eve because, you know, they are our federal head. That's a theological term. But anyways, um, yeah, like we also stand condemned and our consciences condemn us because we know that there's something wrong with us, right? That we're not right, right with our maker. You know, an old preacher, George Whitfield, he was an evangelist in the 18th century. He used to say, you know, do you know why the dogs bark and the animals hiss and howl when they see you? It's because they know that you are not right with your maker. Even the animals, even all creation knows. See, in our own consciences, they condemn us. When we, are, when we are confronted with the presence of God, we're just like Adam and Eve. Alienation from God because of our nakedness, because of our shame. But there's another consequence due to our nakedness, and that is also alienation from one another. Right? Verse, verse 7, it says, They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths because they saw each other naked. See, shame means that we don't want others to see who we are for who we truly are. See, see part of the curse is, of the fall is that you are ashamed of who you are. You know, so this is not only talking about sin, but 
Just talking about in a general sense too. That's why they make fig leaves and they cover themselves up. Their consciences condemn themselves. They realize, I'm not who I was created to be. And we become ashamed of who we are. And we start to think, you know, if people really know who I was, you know, if they knew the kind of struggles that I go through, the kind of past that I've been through, if they know what I'm really like, then they wouldn't accept me. Right? They wouldn't be my friend. And so what we do is we are alienated from other people. If people saw us, everything about us, all the way down to the depths, you know, all the secret places that no one knows, if they knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me anymore. Right? Or at least to the degree that they do right now. See, if they knew, if people knew all our blemishes, all our scars, all our flaws and weaknesses, we're afraid. See, the shame of nakedness has alienated us from one another. We are alienated because of our shame. We were created for intimacy, but this intimacy has been shattered through the shame, through the sin, and trust is replaced by distrust. And everything's been broken. See, even in the church, God calls us to community. And, you know, I see you guys at New Philly. You guys have, you know, great community. And I think that's all great. But because of the shame, it's not to the degree that we desire to be. See, all of us long, I hope, you know, if you have a longing to deeply connect with others, for, to connect on the level of your soul and your spirit and for people to know you, and to connect in that community, that's because that's how God created you to be. But because of shame, right, we know the things about ourselves. We don't want other people to know. That prevents us. That sets up walls. They can't get to know us as fully as we are. And so we want to go beyond the superficial to the deeper levels, to the deeper waters. But the problem is nakedness and shame. And, we, and we're afraid that, you know, if they find out, you know, this thing or that thing about me, if I share this, you know, how will they handle that? You know, will they handle my delicate things with care? You know, or maybe they'll just ignore it or handle it too lightly. Or maybe they'll be disappointed in who I am. Maybe I'm not the person that they thought I was. Or maybe they'll look down on me. You know, we have all these fears. We have all these doubts about what other people will think. So there's a separation, an alienation from other people. So that's the shame of nakedness. But next thing we also see is the futility of fig leaves. Yeah, you guys like that, right? You guys like alliteration? Okay, that's good. Futility of fig leaves. All right, so, so there's a shame of nakedness, but what we do to cover that up is we, we put together fig leaves. It says, right, verse 7, right? They made fig leaves for themselves. And what fig leaves... Basically what it is, is our own efforts to cover up our shame, right? We try to cover up the things that are unsightly, the blemishes and the flaws, and we do it with our own strength, and they're nothing but fig leaves. It's not that good, right? See, our first instinct is to conceal our sin rather than to confess it. And the fig leaves that we make before God, alienation from God, some of these fig leaves... It's obvious, right? Like Pharisaic spirit, self-righteousness, you know, thinking, you know, if I'm just good enough, right, if I just live a moral life, those are just fig leaves. Those will never stand before God and His holy and pure eyes. 
See, and if you fail, if you fail God's standard, your fig leaves fall apart, you start to feel all guilt-ridden. Or if you succeed, oh, my fig leaves are so good, I live such a moral life. Well, your confidence is pretty pathetic because it's fig leaves, right? It's not going to stand before God. Hebrews 4, verse 13 says, No one, nothing is away from his sight because, what does it say? i got to read it. Uh, where is it? Uh, no creature is hidden from his sight, and we are all naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, it's like the emperor who had no clothes. See, we think we're covering ourselves with all these good deeds, you know, by being good enough, right? But before God, he sees right through all that. See, we're, we're naked and we're exposed and we'll never be able to stand before a holy God with those futile fig leaves. Right? But that's something that we all know, right? Alienation with God. Fig leaves before God. But you see, we also make fig leaves before other people. You see, God asks Adam, where are you? And Adam replies, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then, so he asked Adam, you know, no, like, where are you? What did you do? She made me do it, right? And then he asked Eve, and then Eve goes, the serpent made me do it. And all of a sudden, right after the first sin, right after the fall, we see an alienation between a husband and a wife because of their shame, the shame over their nakedness. You see, they have a need to prove themselves, to justify themselves, so they got to blame other people. It can't be my fault. They can't admit their own sins, so they put it on others. Blame shifting. And we see that so much, right? I see it especially in my relationship with my wife, Jamie, right? I, I confess, okay? Like, I love to blame her, right? For everything that, you know, goes wrong in our marriage, you know, every problem that we have, you know, like, it might really be my fault, but I'll say, but, but you know, you made me do that, right? You know, if you didn't speak that way to me, then I wouldn't have yelled at you, you know, like, and I, and I blame her if I raise my voice. I, bl- I find a way to blame her for everything I do. And, you know, it's taken me a while to realize, man, you know, I, I got problems. And, you know, I'm learning to say sorry. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm learning to say sorry a little quicker, you know, to realize my own sins, right? But I see this all the time, just blame shifting. And that's what happens. Because of that shame, of that nakedness, we have to cover ourselves with our own fig leaves justify ourselves see we're ashamed of who we are so we have this need to prove ourselves by making fig leaves of our own efforts through our own strength see instead of enjoying that the father's pleasure over us when we walked in intimacy with him we have this need to prove ourselves and what are some of these fig leaves that i'm talking about that we use to cover our shame you see, society tells us that you, know, you need to be a confident person. You need to build your self-esteem in yourself. And if you feel ashamed of who you are, then you, you just need to you know, read some self-help books and fix some stuff up. But none of all this is just fig leaves, right? Just fig leaves. See, it could be good looks, you know, nice hair, you know, trendy styles. You know, I met this person the other week, and... You know, like, as soon as I met him, it seemed like he was, like, giving me his resume, right? He was, like, telling me, like, all that he's accomplished in his life and what he was planning to do. And I was just like, dude, like, I just met you, right? Like, 
Why are you giving me your resume? You know, like, you're trying to prove yourself to me. And, you know, that's cool. But, see, we have this need to prove ourselves. Yeah, that's why we buy certain kinds of clothing. We buy certain kinds of jeans. You know, I buy certain kind of jeans to cover up my big butt, right? Because I don't want people to see that, right? It's like, that's like another fig leaf. See, we have physical fig leaves too, right? I, I know you guys do it too, so don't laugh at me, right? Yeah, I, yeah, most of you guys do that too, so yeah, it's all good, but yeah, right? We buy certain kind of clothes, you know, about our appearance. We try to cover things up, you know, look a little better. And why do we do this, right? Why do we do these things? Because there's a sense that we have that we're ashamed of who we are, and we're trying to cover those things up, and we're trying to prove ourselves through our own efforts, through the fig leaves that we make with our own strength, through our own efforts. And these things are futile. See, not only do, the, do we do this with appearance things, but you also do this, you know, like if you're, some people, you know, I used to be like this. I still kind of am sometimes. I might act differently with different groups of people because different things will impress them, right? And so, like, I start to shift, and I'm like, well, I, I don't even realize it at the time, but what I'm, what I'm doing is, I'm trying to impress people. See, I'm putting up these fig leaves. I try to be funny. You know, I try to be tough or cool or whatever, right? And, you know, a lot of us do this too. And what is this? You know, what is this that we're doing? See, we're ashamed of who we are. We're afraid that people won't accept us if we're just who we are naturally. So we put up these fig leaves. We act certain ways, right? You know, when you're young, you just put down other people because that makes you feel good about yourself, right? That you're better than them, laughing at others. You know, trying to be funny. You know, it could be performance and, you know, accomplishments. It could be your, you know, your academic success, right? Or it could be the college you came from or the kind of line of work that you're in or how good you are at sports or, yeah, or whatever it is, right? All these things, building up our resumes. See, these are just fig leaves that we use to cover up the shame that we have about ourselves, See, we have this strange need to prove ourselves to other people. And, you know, I, I know at this church, you know, one of the terms that you guys use a lot is, you know, f- freedom from the, the, the need to perform or something like that, right? Like, don't, don't feel like you have to perform, you know? Because why do we feel like we have to perform? Because the way we are naked, we're ashamed, right? We're not confident in who we are in ourselves, and so we put together all these fig leaves. And another thing for me, right? One of the things I used to do is, maybe I still do this to some degree, but with, when I meet new people, a lot of times, like I would be like really hanging back in the shadows, like kind of in the background and not really expressing myself one way or another because, you know, growing up, I developed this fear of what people would think of me. You know, and as long as I don't express myself, then they can't really judge me, right? But that doesn't work because then they start judging you like, oh, you're always in the you know, shadows, you're a man of mystery and all that, right? So it doesn't even work, right? But this, this, is, this is how my mind works. And so, you know, that was one of the fig leaves I had is covering up my insecurities by just kind of hanging in the shadows, you know, hanging in the background. And these are the kind of things that we do. Preaching as well, right, for me. You know, I'm sure some other preachers too in this house. Uh, but, you know, whatever it is, that you put your heart's trust in to be your identity, right? Whatever it is to h- how you uh, try to prove yourselves before others, how you try to appear, whatever those things are that you're trusting in, those are your fig leaves. And it's pretty funny because if you picture it, like 
Fig leaves are not like, they're not very fashionable, right? And, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of uncomfortable on your skin probably, and they break, they crack, they fall apart. You know, how much effort does it take to keep up all these fig leaves, right? right? And that's, that's, what it, that's what happens. See, it takes so much energy for us to keep up all these facades. You know, this is what I'm like, right? And, but that's not who you really are, but that's how you got to present yourself. And you spend so much energy in how you present yourself that you're not just free to be who you are. And this all comes from the shame that we have in our nakedness. See, we're not able to be authentic. You know, I remember this picture that I, I you know, I, I was asking um, Toki, uh, no, you guys don't call him Toki, Diddy, right? I was asking Diddy because I remember Diddy showed it to me like, you know, back, way back in New York a few years ago, uh, but I don't think he had it. But, you know, the picture, one, one, there was two pictures side by side. It was the same people. The first picture was everybody just very well put together, like a doctor, a chef, a lawyer, a businessman, a pastor, like all these people, you know, their clothing is just immaculate and just looking good. And in the same picture, Jesus is in the center of this picture. And it's the same people. But they're free to be who they are. And they're all looking like weirdos and, and freaks and their hair's all, you know, different and like they're wearing all these different clothes and their facial expressions are crazy. And it's just like an expression of who they are when they're with Jesus. See, th- apart from Jesus, we have this need to perform, to prove ourselves to other people because there's nothing else that we have to cover our shame. And we put together these fig leaves, but we don't realize the futility and the failure of fig leaves to cover. But that's all that we have. See, that's why a lot of us, we, we walk around, we feel insecure, we feel anxious, right, when we're with other people. Because we're hiding under all these fig leaves to cover up our faults. See, so we become so self-conscious, and it takes so much energy, but you see, there's good news. The good news is there's freedom. Freedom is for everyone. So where do we get this freedom? Freedom from the shame of our nakedness. Freedom from always having to perform by putting up all these different fig leaves in our lives. Where do we find this freedom? And that brings us to the last point. We saw the shame of nakedness, the futility of fig leaves, and finally we see the garments that God gives You see, even after Adam and Eve deliberately disobeyed God, there was blame shifting, alienation from one another. They were even blaming God, the woman whom you gave to me, right? You know, even after all this, what does God do? See, God starts moving towards them, right? He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't reject them, but he starts to approach them. He's not even running He's not even coming all condemning, but he's walking in the cool of the garden, right, as if, as one slow to anger. And he comes to them. And what does it say in verse 21? It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see, all our efforts, they are nothing but fig leaves. They can never cover all our shame, right? That's not who we are. But you see, God offers clothing to us that is much better. See, He makes us garments of skins to clothe us. You see, even when we were naked and full of shame 
and deliberately rebelled against God, God still comes to us. He makes the first move. He approaches them, right? And He brings clothes, garments of skins to clothe them. See, even though He knew they sinned, God sought them out. But not only that, where did He get these skins? You know, where did these skins come from? They must have come from another animal or something like that, right? You know, a lot of scholars, they say, you know, there was probably bloodshed and getting these garments of skins for Adam and Eve. And as we start to think about that, we realize, wait, this story is also pointing forward to another story. You see, it was not only the garments of animal skins that God gave to clothe us, But there was another man, and there was another bloodshed for him to clothe us with the clothing of righteousness. You see, this story is pointing forward to Jesus, right? See, we were all naked and ashamed because of our sin, because of what we went through in our lives. But Jesus, on the cross, he reverses all that, right? You see, Jesus was unclothed so we could become clothed. Jesus was exposed to shame so that we could be covered. So Jesus reverses all that happened during the fall. See, Jesus was unclothed so that we could be clothed with white garments, shining, bright, white robes of righteousness. We're covered in that now. Everyone who believes in Jesus, we're covered in the white robes, washed in the blood of Christ, stainless, pure, like a bride of Christ. And that's what we are. You know, and at the end of history, Christ is going to hand us these robes, right? And we're going to see him. And Ephesians 5 says, we're washed with the water of the word, you know, without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish. You see, all the flaws, all the weaknesses, all the sin, all that shame that's associated with that, all our nakedness, Christ came to take that away. Through Christ, we are accepted by the Father, accepted in the Beloved. And no longer do we have to be ashamed of our nakedness. We don't have to walk around feeling like we need to prove ourselves to everybody that we meet, trying to be all funny and cool and You know, like give people a resume and whatever else it is, right? Whatever fake leaves that you have. But we can lay down our fake leaves because we have something much better. We have the garments of skins that God has given to us. You see, we were created for a relationship. We want to be known. We want people to know us deep down and still love us and accept us. But we're afraid... Because there's shame associated with that. But when we come before God, see, God knows us down to the very depths. There's nothing that's hidden from His sight. He knows everything about us. All our sins, every time we've been sinned against, all our shame, everything that we've been through, you know, even the little things like a big head or a big butt or whatever else it is, right? He knows everything about us, and yet He loves us still the same down to the very depths. That's the kind of relationship that we need. That's the kind of relationship that we're looking for, that we're longing for, 
And that's the kind of relationship that we have in Christ and what He's done for us. And you see, it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, when our sins are cleansed by the blood of Christ, then we have fellowship with one another. Because we can lay down all our performance. We can lay down all our fig leaves. You know, all the facades, all the different things that we put up over the years. We can lay it down because we're washed. We're accepted through Christ. And so now we can be free. Free to be who we are. No more performing. It's just me. Right? And we can get to know people, get to know them on a deeper level, and we have the resources to love them because that's how Christ loved us. Right? He knows everything about us but he has not rejected us. He embraces us. So that gives us the power, the resources to love others with that same kind of love. See, only when we see that we're accepted in the beloved, that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, can we have that kind of fellowship that we were created for. We were made for relationship. We were made for community and that's what Christ desires for us. See, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, Christ is speaking to the church in Laodicea. And he says something along the lines of, you know, you think that you're rich and, you know, all that, but you do not know that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me clothing, garments of white, so that you may cover the shame of your nakedness. And that's all it takes. Just come to Christ. Be clothed in Him. Lay down your fig leaves. Lay down all the facade. Right? In all your relationships. And you'll experience a deeper intimacy. So I'll just end with this. Isaiah 61, verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you created us for a relationship, that we should be known and loved down to our very depths. And Father, we thank you that you are the one who made that happen. That on that cross, you took upon all our shame. You were uncovered so that we could be covered with the garments of Christ. I pray that we would embrace that identity of ours and that we would begin to walk in that with more fullness, O oh Lord. And that we would experience the intimacy, the fellowship that you designed us for. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name pray. Amen.